In American Christianity especially, there is much confusion on the doctrine of eternal security, sometimes referred to as once saved, always saved. Some circles of Christianity, for example, might teach that someone can lose his or her salvation and fall into the error of trying to keep their salvation through personal effort. According to Scripture, this is a serious error. Galatians 3, 1-3. On the other hand, some circles teach that one can never lose his or her salvation, so therefore they fall into the error of sinning willfully because they believe salvation can't be lost no matter how much an individual sins. This is also a serious doctrinal error. Hebrews 10, 26. It would seem that some scriptures suggest that God preserves those who are truly His. Yet, there is also an indication in Scripture that in the journey of pursuing Christ, many will fall away from the faith. So, which is it? Are we eternally secure? Or is our salvation conditional on our own ability to walk in obedience? How do we understand apostasy or those who once professed faith in Christ but now don't. to the Beards and Bible Podcast. My name is Josh. I'm joined by my co-host Gabe. And boy, am I glad to see him this morning. Gabe, how you doing, man? Mm. I'm doing better than yesterday. I canceled on you yesterday. We were going to record this episode. Mm. This this episode was not eternally secure mm. <laughs> based on my yes. based on my uh my health yesterday. You know, I I I um my my sinuses or something are really sensitive to dust, and my job involves a lot of dust sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I don't wear a mask every time like I should. Yeah, of course you don't. Hear you're, an, voice. you're an American. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I ain't wearing no mask. <laughs> Hashtag mask off. Yeah, but I I uh, can always hear Stacy's voice in the back of my head. You should be wearing a mask right now as I'm, you know, up in a up in an enclosed attic. With like a leaf blower mm, blowing yeah. dust somewhere, and you know, just stuff like that. I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I should not be breathing this stuff in. Whatever this stuff is, um, so yeah. Once it, once I breathe all that in, my sinuses just go crazy and give me a crazy bad sinus headache, which leads to, leads to nausea, which leads to all kinds of good stuff that you don't want to hear about. But yeah, yeah. Well, I'm back. I'm, I'm good. I'm glad to hear that you're back. Yeah, I was a little concerned for your mm-hmm. for your health, but uh, yep. glad you're good, man. Glad you're good. How you guys doing? Yeah. Otherwise, everybody, everybody good? Yeah, really good, really good. Good. Doing all right. What about you guys? We're doing good. We uh, had a vacation last week. It was amazing. So mm. we live in Tennessee. Was so. it a staycation? Or, oh, okay, well, I, I, I guess because we live in Tennessee. So if you live in mm. Tennessee and you don't want to drive a long way away, you go to Pigeon Forge. So that's what we did. Went to Pigeon mm. Forge, Gatlinburg, Cates Cove area. And, uh, mm. yeah, just kind of got into the, the stuff that is out there and actually had a really good time. So, I don't know. I remember, yeah. like, when Jenny and I were married without kids, everybody that we knew would go to Pigeon Forge would be like, that's so lame. 
don't you go somewhere cool and explore? And then we start having kids, and we're like, yeah, Pigeon Forge, that's it. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, can't go wrong. I'm going to go on vacation to the Chick-fil-A playground. Yes. Amen to that. Yeah. It's like when I lived in Central Florida, uh, it's like people would go to where I live to vacation. Yeah. And yeah it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. where do we go? Oh, and we go to the... We go to where people don't go to vacation. Right, right, right. Which, yeah. You know, I don't know. But you guys, growing up in Florida, like, you wanted to get to the mountains, right? That was like, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I... Yeah, Floridians always go to hills. Yeah. Yeah. So for, We look for elevation changes. For me, I grew up in northwest Georgia, like, surrounded by mountains. So I never understood why mm-hmm. people went to mountains. If you grew up in Georgia, every time, like, you got any time off, it's like, we're going to the beach. So everybody was just mm-hmm. go to the beach, which uh, is either Myrtle Beach or Panama City. Um, mm. Which, if you've been to either of those two, you have the state of Georgia to thank for bringing down their <laughs> overall classiness. <laughs> that was mm. those people from Georgia, but um, yeah. So I don't know. We're we're uh, kind of figuring out the whole how to vacation with three young kids thing, and we figured out that. You either go mm. see family or you go do stuff that's not super crazy expensive or busy. That's the way to mm. do it. Do you do the whole kids on a leash thing? I mean, where are you at with that? <laughs> Man, I've been tempted. My youngest, dude. So we went, the yeah. one of the days we were there, we went to this place called Anakista, which is like a mm. like hilltop resort on top of mountains. It's awesome it's beautiful but my two and a half year old hadn't napped that day so the whole time he's basically like a, a drunk man he's just like i'm gonna go over here and like running everywhere and chasing him that whole day was like the most exhausting thing ever like an eight-story mm-hmm. observation deck he didn't want us to help him he ran up the whole way and then he's like looking out over you know close to falling and um yeah, I came close. Hmm. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm interested. Yeah. I'm a seeker. Yeah, just go if you do it. Just go like super old school with like a like a hemp rope, you know. Like a, go to Lowe's <laughs> and just get like a tatter. That's how you get DCS called on you. Yeah. <laughs> just tie, yeah, just tie like a square knot around his waist. Just like yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing screams oh, homeschool man. family like a toddler on a hemp rope mm-hmm. from Lowe's. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, all stereotypes confirmed. Yes, 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 yes. So, oh man. Well, cool. Well, is it safe to say that he was not? Uh, he was not eternally secure. Mm, we'll he was not secure in terms of his eternal security. I'm <laughs> hoping and praying that that happens soon. But yeah, uh, mm. no, he was not secure. I guess. I guess he was. I don't know because I'm his dad, so I was holding on mm. to him. But at the same time, mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. had his own ability to walk away. So. Wow. Why don't we just wow. jump into this? I mean, let's just do a whole topic yeah, on this. You want to spend the so. next hour or so talking let about me, this? Hang on. Let me, I feel like it's on your heart. Let me check my email. Do, 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 do. Typing, typing, mm. typing. <gasps> Look, an email. Let me read it. <laughs> Hello. I recently listened to your episodes about Calvinism versus Arminianism and followed those up with the episodes on heaven and hell. I don't recall if the possibility of losing your salvation is expressly discussed in depth. I also haven't listened to all the past episodes, but is there one in which this topic is fully outlined? This person goes on to say, 
I do believe salvation is a free gift we have to choose, and although nothing external can pluck us from God's hand, I believe that something freely given can also be later rejected. At the end of the Arminianism episode, both Josh and David Young, David Young was our guest, mentioned how a moment of sin is not the same as consciously giving up your salvation. That's just bad theology. I think that's what David said to that. However, does willfully living a lifestyle of unrepentant sin implicitly tell God that we reject him and therefore be one of those he tells to depart from him? I grew up Southern Baptist, so I was taught once saved, always saved. But as Paul says, just because we have grace does not mean we should cheapen it by sinning all the more. So that is an email we got this past week. And uh, Hmm. yeah, I think that's a a very common topic that I hear people discussing and thinking about and wanting to study. And honestly, a lot of people are very, um, yeah, some people I think are confused on it. Some people are just sort of, don't really know what to think about it. Hmm. Well, a good conversation, I think, and delving into this topic and trying to answer this question, maybe would start with defining salvation from a biblical perspective, maybe going through some verses. Mm-hmm. Because if we don't all, if we're not all on the same page about what is salvation, then we're going to all definitely come to some different conclusions um, about that. But, um, well, Josh, you got some some key definitions in here in the notes yes. about what is salvation. Do you want to do a thing where maybe you read it and then I'll have some of the verses pulled up and just read them really sure, quickly? Sure, absolutely. Okay. So when we talk about the word salvation, it's a biblical term. It's not just something we made up. And I know for some people, if you grew up in church, you kind of get weary with using the word saved. He got saved. Are you saved? And I think mm-hmm. probably more in our generation that grew up in evangelicalism has tried to move away from that word. Um, but that's actually a really biblical word. And um, and really, salvation is related to eternal and spiritual deliverance. And we'll talk about what someone is saved from. Um, but we read about this in Acts 16, 30-31, when Paul tells the Philippian jailer what he must do to be saved. Mm-hmm. So you want to read that, Gabe? Get yeah, the he says, Yep. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And then he, they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Okay. Awesome, awesome. And then we see Jesus... Uh, actually, he's discussing money, and he's discussing the rich young ruler, because many believe that if you had wealth, then that was a sign of God's blessing in your life. And if you had God's blessing in your life because you had wealth, then automatically um, you were going to gain favor with God. And so uh, read Matthew nineteen twenty-four through 25 first, Gabe. All right. I wonder what the... Um I'm going there. I wonder what the Greek word for salvation is here. I don't know. It's written in Greek. He says, um, Matthew 19, 24, uh, again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And then when his disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Okay. So being saved according to Jesus is the same as entering into the kingdom of God. And it was astonishing to his disciples that the um, efforts of man, mainly being successful, can't 
bring you into the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, some of the most difficult people to enter in the kingdom of God are the most successful, the most who have relied on their own riches. It's kind of what Jesus is saying in that. So hmm. it seems like, sorry, I just clicked on the yeah, no, go for it. here. I'm not a Greek person, but um, it looks like the Greek word is sodezo okay. or sodzo. Uh-huh. Uh, it means to heal, preserve, or rescue. It's actually, oddly enough, it's used in some of the, the healing accounts, like in the book of Matthew, um, Matthew 9, for instance, Matthew 9, 21, it says, um, or she was, she was saying within herself, if only I could touch his garment, I could be, and then it uses that word sozo. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah, sozo. So it's, yes. Okay, sozo, yeah. So it's interesting how it has that connection to being, um, like, like healed as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like. Delivered from an illness, I guess, rescued from the, an ailment, a prolonged ailment. Yeah, I think, I think delivered or um, rescued mm-hmm. is probably a better understanding of it, right? I mean, if, when we think about saved, if you if you grew up in church, I think for some of us that word has become just a throwaway word, right? But like, mm-hmm. if you're drowning and you're you're like inhaling water and the world's starting to go black and i jump in the water and pull you out of the water and save you i mean there's so much wrapped into that one word that happened in me pulling you out of that water to save you right you were delivered you were set free from the death that was surrounding you all of that and the bible says that's what happens in christ when we come to christ so Big question is, like, what are we saved from? That's the number one. So Hmm. um, there's some more verses. So, Gabe, you can look some of those up. But primarily what we're saved from is we're saved from wrath. That is the wrath of God and his judgment for sin. So Romans Hmm. 5, 9 that Gabe is looking up. Romans 5, 9. I'll look up the other so, one while you're reading that one. Oh, cool. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Do you think that's a concept that people don't really feel comfortable with, like the fact that God is a wrathful God? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you got first, I can do first Thessalonians yeah, go for 5, it. 9. Um, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Hmm. Then Therefore, encourage one another, build one another up, just as you were doing. Yeah. Interesting. So the Bible's idea is this. You, you are born as a sinner by both your nature and your choices. You are under the wrath of God justly because of the fact that we are rebels against God's word. We have disobeyed him. We've not acknowledged him as Lord. We've not wanted him in our lives. We just wanted his stuff in our lives. And so we're under his wrath and our sin has separated us from God. And the Bible says, the well, you're looking it up, but I was going to paraphrase it, but you probably know this one. You probably memorized this in Awana, just like I did. <laughs> Romans six twenty three. Yeah, for the wages of wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yep. So we're like destined for wrath because of our 
sin, we're destined for death. We're destined for the second death, which is hell. But when we call upon the name of the Lord and we're saved, we are delivered from the consequences of sin, which is the judgment of God and the life to come. And we are forgiven of our sin. Um, so we're safe from the penalty of our sin, but we're also safe from the power of sin. And, and that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about today. Like, what does that look like in our lives for the power of sin to be broken as we're saved? Mm. So we talked to... So the next question. Yes. Yes. Who does, who does the saving? Who does? Who is who does? Who can, who can save, who can save Gabe Rutledge? (laughs) Not Gabe Rutledge. From from his, his, uh, penalty of sin. So second Timothy one nine, I got that pulled up. Uh, he has, he has saved us. Let's back up. Figure out who he is. So do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but by his own purpose and by the grace he granted us in Christ Jesus before time began. Yeah. Interesting. Titus 3.5 basically says the exact same thing. It says, He, that is God our Savior, saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So, yeah, I mean, it's clear. It's Jesus that does the saving. It's God that does this transaction. And kind of leads in the next one, how we're saved. And both these verses that Gabe and I read say it's Jesus Christ that saves us. And it's the work that he did through the atoning sacrifice on the cross that saved us. So the most famous verse in the New Testament is probably John three sixteen: For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that anyone who believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But the verse that follows... Verse 17, you got that pulled up, Gabe? Yeah, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Yeah. So we're moved from the side of being condemned by God to being saved by God. And all of that comes about through our faith in Christ and the work that he did on the cross and the resurrection that achieved our salvation. And um, Romans 5.10. Gabe, I'm trying to keep up with you in my old school like print Bible, and you've <laughs> no, got a keyboard. Not. And so uh, this is actually kind of a challenge. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I'm just, do- I'm just dominating, dominating the, the sword right drill. Now. Yeah. Some, bi- some, <laughs> some sword drill. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's, whole ge- there's whole generations that don't know what sword drills are. Like, how, Should we explain what a sword drill have- is? Uh, just, just Google it. But I mean, so there's, we do like a youth night and we get all the teens together and do like a youth night and we do, you know, stupid games and, you know, pizzas and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of fun. But, um, I remember one time we were like, all right, let's do a sword drill thinking that everyone would be like, yeah, <laughs> everyone was like a what? I'm like, no, no. <laughs> anyway, like, I've got my youth version. Five, Romans 510. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Romans 510 for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, 
shall we be saved by his life, or I guess his resurrection. Yeah. So yeah, we were enemies, and then we get reconciled. We that that relationship is restored, and that comes about through his death on the cross and the resurrection. And Ephesians one seven also speaks of that. And Gabe is our sword driller, but I bet I can look it up and get there before yeah. he did. In him ah. we <laughs> <laughs> in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Awesome. So, salvation is a gift. I mean, just even that verse we read, he lavished it on us. We don't, we don't deserve it. We don't earn it. It's a gift, and it's a gift that we receive through faith. And um, the book of Ephesians also makes that clear, so I do have it pulled up in front of me. Mm. And I'm going to read it. It says... By grace. I don't know why I sound like Forrest Gump right there. I don't know if Forrest Gump ever read scripture with his buddies, but Bub, I'm going to read that Bible verse. (laughs) It says, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So that's that's pretty clear, right? It's pretty black and white. It also says we were made... Uh, alive together with Christ by grace we have been saved. That's verse five, and then Acts four twelve. So there's salvation found only in one name under heaven, and that's the name of Jesus. And um, yeah, I mean that's like the the bedrock of our faith. That's everything we do as believers in Jesus. Um, and so the the million dollar question is okay. How does that work in our lives? How do we receive salvation? So Gabe, you want to? Kind of start us off on that. How does that work? Yeah, because I mean, the question is like, are we born saved? If salvation is there for the whole world, and you know, it says John three sixteen, he, he desires to save the whole world. Is it just there for us? Like, are we born? Yeah. And the answer is no. We're born totally de- depraved mm-hmm. and 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 bound by sin. Um. So Ephesians one thirteen, I think, is the verse I'm going to pull here. Um. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the pledge of our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Hmm. So it seems like there's something that we kind of need to do in terms of um, putting our belief in this ability to save. Yeah. So there's so much, I've been teaching through John's gospel, there's so much in the gospel of John, and really in all the gospels, about hearing. How some have heard, but they've not really heard, and Jesus says, let him who have ears hear. Um, and so you see that in verse 13, when you heard the word of truth, and like according to Jesus and according to the New Testament, like hearing is different than hearing. <laughs> Are you tracking with that? Yeah, Like, there's a difference in hearing it and, like, hearing somebody give a gospel presentation and going, yeah, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And actually, like, mm-hmm. hearing it in your heart and understanding, man, that's for me. I'm a sinner. Jesus died for me. I need him in my life to be saved or I will not be saved. I will not be saved through church attendance. I will not be saved through morality. Like, I need Jesus, and unless I receive him in my life, I am damned to eternal judgment. Mm. And there are some people who... It's kind of like... Go ahead. I was going to say, it's probably equivalent to like the Hebrew uh, Shema, 
yeah, which is like yeah. Deuteronomy 6, 4, mm-hmm. hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The word Shema, it doesn't mean just to hear, yeah, but it, it means like um, to listen and then change behavior. Hmm. Or listen yeah. and it prompts you to do something. Yes. And I think that's a motif you see all through the Gospels and the teaching of Jesus, that mm-hmm. hearing is not just, like he even says in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and follow me. So yeah, that mm-hmm. seems very connected with Shema. That if you yeah. actually are hearing the gospel, it will prompt something in you. And what we read in Ephesians is you you heard it and then you believed in him. And belief, I think for us as um, English speakers, we have a hard time with that word because for some of us, when we think belief, we think mental assent. Mm-hmm. Like I believe that Abraham Lincoln lived, right? <laughs> or, I, you know, mm-hmm. well, I believe that. Uh, you know, this happened in history or this happened in that. But um, really, when you see that word in the New Testament, that word in the Greek is a very interesting word. It's the word pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. And translated in other places, belief doesn't get translated as um, just kind of believing something mentally, it's actually the word allegiance. It's how it gets translated in another place. Mm-hmm. So you could take the word um, allegiance and you could put it in and all these other places, you know, you, you heard the word and then you became allegiant to Jesus as a result of hearing, hearing the word, right? Mm-hmm. And so wrapped up in this, this idea of saving faith in the New Testament is hearing it, responding to it by trusting in and becoming allegiant in Jesus. And so that means like a full self-disclosure and complete surrender to him as Lord of our lives. And that involves repentance. Mm. And repentance is changing your mind about sin and changing your mind about Christ and coming to a place where you just say, I'm, I'm not the Lord of my life anymore, Jesus is. And I want to live his version of life. I don't want to live my version of life anymore. And so Acts 3.19 says, repent. Yeah. Go ahead. You probably have it pulled up. Oh. Do you have it pulled up? Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Yeah, read that next verse. This next verse is really good. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. That's all right. Um, I'm failing. Three, <laughs> 320. 320, yeah. <laughs> that, ta- that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Messiah appointed for you. That is Jesus. Yeah. So that mm-hmm. idea of like the times of refreshing that comes from the Lord is like the idea of like a new life that, mm-hmm. that God gives. And he gives that. And to repent. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, I was going to say that the word repent there is metanoia. Mm-hmm. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not a Greek scholar. Metanoia. metanoia. Uh, so, some Greek student is like just <laughs> gritting their teeth Stephanos right now. Yeah. 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 But it's to change one's mind or purpose. Yes. So it seems like if we back up here and review a little bit, it's like we have to hear, we have to believe, and that develops pistis faith Mm -hmm. and then we have to change our mind in purpose yes 
And all this is building up and leading to this salvation experience. Absolutely. And one could even say, and I think there's a, a tremendous amount of biblical support, that even the faith to believe is a gift from God. Like God goes first. Mm. Um, it's mm. the theological concept of previent grace, that the Spirit of God goes and opens our eyes and opens our ears and softens our heart and then gives us faith to believe. And as we respond to that, then we experience salvation. And so um, just put a little definition of it here, and I think hopefully we kind of explained and laid the groundwork for it, that salvation is the deliverance by the grace of God from eternal punishment for sin that is granted to those who accept by faith God's conditions of repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is a mysterious, supernatural, amazing um, encounter that people have with God. And Jesus said, unless you are born again, you will never see the kingdom of heaven. You have to go through this to come into the kingdom of heaven, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for some people, this is super dramatic. And this is like, you know, the classic hitting their knees, walking the aisle, snotting, tearing, crying. Um but for other people, I found it to be a little bit more subtle. What's been your experience with that? Have you walked with people that have the dramatic conversions and those that maybe don't? Uh, yeah, it's probably fifty-fifty. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe the the traumatic experience, not traumatic. But <laughs> dramatic experience. I hope it's not traumatic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here, take the snake. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> no. I, it's probably. I mean, it just maybe depends on on your level of of moral depravity mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and you're, you're coming into contact with God's holiness that produces in you a deep remorse or, you know, I, maybe it depends on personality too. Sure. Um, a lot, a lot of factors there, but yeah. yeah, the, the formula remains true. However, that if we get any of these steps out of order, just like the Egyptian, the, the Israelites in Egypt uh, saw the power of God through some of the plagues and then believed, they kind of like heard Moses' report, Moses' gospel, we could say. They believed to the point that it produced in them this outward show of faith in putting blood on their doorposts. Mm. And then it was a gift of God that they were led away from their um, enslavers. They yeah. were led out of enslavement in Egypt and into freedom and then given his law, his his commandments, and here, live holy. Hmm. So anytime we see someone, like, getting those things, those steps out of order, bad things happen. Yeah, so, huh, that's interesting. I, so we said those steps. We're here talking about hearing, believing, repenting, and faith. So hmm. hear, believe, repent, and, and faith. Take a step of faith in surrendering your heart and life to Christ as your Lord and Savior, right? Um, so I would say, in one way I do agree with you, but another way I'll push back on that to say, sometimes I think it's like all of those kind of mesh together in a big stew that just kind of happens in somebody's life at the mm-hmm. same time. Yeah, yeah. What would you? Th- no, absolutely. Because like I think of C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Like C.S. Lewis talks about his conversion. He had a buddy named J.R. Tolkien, uh, who I, I guess he wrote some books mm-hmm. once upon a time. Um, and sounds <laughs> he sounds a bit familiar, doesn't he? And J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis would go to the pub and they would talk and they would talk about the faith because C.S. Lewis was adamantly not Christian. 
And Tolkien had been working on Lewis for a long time, sharing with him the faith, reasons for believing, all these things. And Lewis was such an unlikely convert and was digging his heels in. But then he writes of his conversion that he was thinking about these things, and these things were just on his mind and on his heart. He couldn't get them off his mind. He couldn't get off his heart. And he got on a motorcycle to go on a ride, and he says it was somewhere on that motorcycle where all of those things happened, where he mm-hmm. believed, where he repented, and where he put his faith in Christ. And he'd been hearing, mm-hmm. I guess, for a while, and then it just kind of all came up, and that seed that had been planted just like exploded in one moment, right? <laughs> And and so I think I've talked with some people that have a really neat and tidy conversion story. And then Mm -hmm. I've talked to other people. They're like, man, I, it was around this season of life. Like it kind of happened here when I was, you know, hanging out with this Christian friend who was witnessing to me. And then it kind of was like six to eight months of me hearing and listening. And finally, you know, there was a time when I just was sitting in church and I surrendered my life to Christ and and then I was baptized mm. shortly after. And I think that's when that happened, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, yeah, I would agree. Like the, the process sometimes can be, uh, very vague maybe. I don't know. I don't know. You have... Yeah. But it's, yeah. it, but I think, I think a, a neat aspect of it all in part of, part of the evidence of our salvation is water baptism. And that's something we can sure. always kind of say, yeah, there, there was this, this, moment in time when I went into the water right. and came out. Right. And that's very, I think it's very like definite mm-hmm. yeah. and discernible point yep. in time. Yep. Yep. Not yep. that that's what, obviously that's not what saves sure. you. That's just the evidence of, of you making that commitment. Right. But, right. Um, yeah. 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 No, absolutely. I think baptism is such an important thing and, and it is kind of that landmark mm-hmm. that someone can look back to and say, yeah, that's when I began my life in Christ. Uh, through that step of obedience. So here's the question at hand, and this goes back, and if you're listening, you're like, man, I, you guys are taking forever to get to this question. Well, because we're trying to lay the groundwork for, <laughs> like, this is a significant supernatural thing that happens. Like, conversion is not just something to just, oh, yeah, yeah, I got saved. No, it's like you go from death to life, from darkness to light, from a rebel to God to a child of God. <laughs> Everything in your life is completely changed. And here's the question. Once that has happened for you, because Christ worked that in you, and you receive salvation, can you lose it? Hmm. In other words, can someone be saved and then not be saved? (laughs) Hmm. So go ahead and answer the question. What do you say to that? That is a big question. And it's an important question because I remember sitting, even as a high school student, I remember, gosh, it's been over 20 years, sitting on a, a bleacher in my high school gym talking to the father of one of my friends and him asking me, basically, he believed in eternal security, eternal salvation. And, and I grew up in a denomination that did not. And so he challenged me on a couple of things. It's so funny looking back. I'm like, wow, were we having this conversation? And, <laughs> you were but 16. Anyways, yeah. he was like, so if you... He brought up some sin. I don't remember what it was. He's like, if you do this today and then and then uh, you die on the way home tonight, are you saying you're going to spend eternity in, in hell after living a life for Christ? And I was like, I guess. I mean, that seems, yeah, it seems kind of petty, I guess. But, yeah. So, yeah, it was a very tough question. It's, sure. it's something that, that definitely consumes um, a lot of dialogue and, and debate within Christianity, yeah. and rightly so. Absolutely. 
Well, and it's significant because also in the Testament, we won't have to look up these verses we can just mention. Like there's this reality called apostasy. And apostasy is somebody leaving the faith, someone falling away from the faith. Um, you see this in John 6. There's people who were disciples of Jesus or they were following Jesus. And Jesus said some stuff that was really hard. And they go, yeah, I don't think so. And they walk away. Uh, Galatians 1.6 talks about believers eagerly abandoning Christ and their faith. 1 Timothy 4.1 says, in the end times, many will fall away, go after the teachings of demons. 2 Peter 3.17 tells us to stay on guard against false teachings that can cause us to fall away from the faith. And honestly, I mean, Gabe, we did a whole series on deconstruction. And Mm -hmm. we talked about how there are many people who were apparently followers of Jesus and then they said I've deconstructed. I don't I don't want that life anymore. I'm not a Christian anymore, right? Mm-hmm. And all through the Bible in the New Testament we see Jesus says persecution causes that to happen sometimes in Matthew 24, false teaching causes that to happen and I think about that in our deconstruction episodes. Uh, temptation also, in our deconstruction episode, there's always a sexual component to a lot of deconstruction. Um, worldliness, Second Timothy 4. Defective knowledge of Christ, so people don't actually know the gospel, First John 2. A moral lapse, Hebrews 6. Um, forsaking worship and spiritual living, Hebrews 10. Which, that's a pretty interesting one, right? You get out of church, you get away from the body of Christ, and you fall away from the faith. And then unbelief. And so, yeah, the Bible says it's going to happen. There's going to be people who fall away. They apostatize. And the question is, did they lose their salvation if they fall away or apostatize? So do do you know anyone personally? You don't have to share names or anything, but have you been affected mm-hmm. by people oh, you no, share <laughs> telling their zip code, yeah. their phone number, their bank account? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I know I know people, several people on, on both ends of the spectrum, people that were religious, and they became more religious, but mm-hmm. uh, abandoned the testimony of, of Christ. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I know people that, like, on the other end of the spectrum, that, that became, uh, deconstructed their faith and became, you know, maybe a hopeful agnostic of some right. kind. Of, and yeah, I, I know, um, sadly, I know that, that it comes in many shapes and sizes, for sure. Yeah. Now, whether or not they, they, they lost their salvation, you know, that's kind of the, the essence of this, this conversation. Yeah. I don't know. Right. Um, you know, and, and that's the thing is like, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to know right here in the now. Like, we're going to be running a marathon together here in October. Mm-hmm. It's like um, Paul likens our faith to a race, right, and a lot of running. And if I looked at you at mile six and I was like, hey, Josh you know, are you going to finish? <laughs> and you're like, of course. Yeah. yeah. I look at you at mile 12. Hey, Josh, are you going to finish? Yeah. But, um, hang, uh, you know, it's right, right. Mile, mile 20, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But it's like, we know we finished this race when you and I crossed that finish line together. Right. And it's hard because we're talking in terms of like the here and now, but you know, you can't look at someone who's apostatized from their faith and say like, Oh yeah, they lost their salvation. Yeah. I just, I don't so, know what God's so plan is. For here's them. the real question. <laughs> And maybe this is a terrible analogy, but I'm just thinking through it. Like, could we say that we're both marathoners on mile five? Or could we only say that we're marathoners after mm. we cross the finish line on mile 26? 
No, I, I, mean, <laughs> I don't know just, if that's a, that's a really that's, shaky metaphor, but I'm just thinking through it, you know? Okay. So, so yeah, I, we definitely could say we're both runners. Right. Right. Um, and if we get hit by a car while running, we could say <laughs> we completed our race. Right. Um, <laughs> the one that was assigned to us. Like, yeah. But, but no, I think if we, if we, if we quit at mile six or mile seven or whatever, mm-hmm. if we quit at mile 20, 25.9, right. then no, I don't think we can say rightfully that we are marathoners. Right. So, and I, I know that's yeah, a probably not, imperfect, shaky metaphor. So forgive me if it's not yeah, neat, tidy, yeah. but yeah, I think that's a great question. Like if, if one is going to inherit the kingdom of heaven, you, you you can't fall away, right? So the question mm-hmm. is, what do you make of the people who fall away? What do you make of the people who apostatize? So this is where we get into the two views related to this. And the first is the conditional security view or conditional perseverance of the saints. Mm-hmm. And so the first view, conditional security is affirmed by the Roman Catholic Church, the Restorationist Church, that would be like Churches of Christ and the Christian Church, and Baptist churches, so Mennonite and Missionary Alliance churches, the Eastern Orthodox Church, the Lutheran Church, Methodist Wesleyan Church, Assemblies of God, Pentecostal Church, and the Quaker Church. And so basically, I mean, it's just the ideas in the definition. A Christian salvation is conditionally secure, and just like Gabe spoke of to um, receive the prize, you got to finish the race, right? So salvation is conditional upon remaining faithful into the end. So Gabe, read us uh, that first verse. We'll talk through it. Yeah. This is Matthew 24, 11 through 13. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness. The love of most will grow cold, but he who stamps he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Okay. So that's pretty clear, right? The one who stands firm to the end, the one who endures, they'll be saved. Uh, Romans eight says, um, if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death, the misdeeds of the body, you will live because those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. So again, there's an if there, right? You, you, You're going to die if you live according to sinful nature, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body. Um, Go ahead with the next one. This is 1 Corinthians 15. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 2. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Yes. And then the last one would be Galatians 6. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And so, I mean, it does seem like in each of these passages, this conditional language used, right? If you endure, Mm -hmm. You will be saved. You'll reap the harvest if you don't give up. Um, by this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. And so people that hold to this view argue that 
in order to be saved in the last day, you've got to endure to the end. You've got to live by the Spirit. You've got to hold fast to the preached word. And you've got to sow to the Spirit. I mean, you're, you're living the Spirit-filled life. You're not just living according to the flesh. And um, so many that hold to this view are really emphasized just kind of like this responsibility that we have. Like, you, you have to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's Philippians 2. And, you know, I, I think the email we got was referencing... David, who holds to this view, David's in um, in the Restorationist Church. He pastors a Church of Christ, and so he's decidedly Arminian. He would believe this. Um, he straight up said, like he doesn't believe that you know you you sin one time and and then you get hit by a truck and you're going to hell, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not what he believes at all. Mm-hmm. But what he believes is that like if you choose a lifestyle if you willingly choose rebellion against God and you're doing that consciously and you're doing that consistently over time that is you saying to God I don't want your promise of eternal life I want to do my own thing and in David's view that is forfeiting this gift that God has given you because you've chosen a different life and a different path does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I, you you could use the analogy of like marriage, for instance. Sure, you know, I've been married to Stacy for sixteen years, and there is a yeah. We both made an eternal promise to each other. Mm-hmm. We said, "Until death do us part." That's the finish line, I guess. Yeah, but I guess you know, from a conditional conditional covenant perspective, conditional um, salvation perspective, we could say, okay, if we're we're betrothed in a way to God, mm-hmm. it's like there there are a series of decisions that will cause Stacy to justifiably divorce me. Right. Um, now I don't, I don't wake up in the morning and think, okay, um, my, my mind is not consumed and we're going to get into this a little bit more about like what our mind should be consumed. Right. Like, my mind is not consumed with like, okay, how, what, where's too far in this mm-hmm. relationship? Mm-hmm. My mind is, is consumed with like, how do I beautify my relationship with my, my wife? Sure. That's a good way. To how do I, yeah. how do I, yeah. And so if your mind is consumed with like, well, what do I got to do to lose my salvation? And that's all you think about with well, this, you know, I, I would question right. <laughs> maybe your mind needs to be more conformed <laughs> to that of Christ yeah. where, okay, how do I beautify my relationship with God? How do I, how do I live more, right. m- more recklessly for him? I guess you could say. Yeah. So like, I think some strengths to maybe that argument is someone that, that I guess follows that line of thinking. I mean, they're, they're probably motivated to a life of holiness, I would think. And motivated to a life of actually living out the Christian life and pursuing Christ, so I think I think that's probably a strength. Do you agree with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But but what would be some weaknesses or dangers that you might see in that viewpoint? Hmm. That is a good question. Um, I guess it kind of just piggyback on what I just said. Maybe maybe a consumption, like a mental, like obsession with well well always worrying did i lose my salvation mm-hmm. uh you know always worrying am i still saved do i need to re go through kind of go through this rebirth process right in right. case or repent of you know yeah. always living under this fear of that maybe is maybe one of the weaknesses of it yeah or, or you know one danger or weakness i can see of that would be like um 
almost like a arrogance or a pride that could come about through thinking that, well, I stayed saved. Mm-hmm. Look at all these other people not mm-hmm. staying saved. Look at mm-hmm. look how I'm staying saved because I'm actually working really hard to keep it. Um, and and I've been around circles of people that hold to this view, and I've seen that in them. I don't think they can see that in themselves, but I've seen that in them from an outsider's perspective coming in, just this mm-hmm. very subtle spiritual self-righteousness that can kind of come in. And listen, self-righteousness and spiritual pride knows no denominational boundaries. I mean, you've got it in every denomination, right? In every viewpoint, in every tribe. But mm-hmm. I think a unique flavor of it can come about in this you know, conditional security aspect of looking at people who fall away and apostatize and feeling exceptionally self-righteous and superior because I have not, because I have been working really hard and they haven't. And I think that's kind of dangerous, and I think that's that's not good, right? Yeah, and I mean, the same could be said about e- people who believe eternal security. Yeah. You know, like, I believe... You know, I you know I'm quoting maybe someone to say this like I am, I'm saved eternally, and if you apostatize, then clearly you're not. Mm-hmm, you know, it can mm-hmm. produce, and that's I guess that's just human nature. I yeah. guess it's like we just have this propensity to become prideful. And, yeah. But it's interesting because the whole essence of salvation is that you didn't admitting do it. <laughs> and confessing that I didn't right, do it, right, right. and I cannot <laughs> do it. I am powerless to save myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the other side of that coin would be eternal security or the perseverance of the saints. So if you remember from the Calvinism episode, we talked about tulip, and the P in tulip would be perseverance of the saints. Um, Sometimes eternal security is called, especially here in the South, once saved, always saved. I don't like that term at all because I think it's been jeopardized, or uh, I think it's been bastardized. I think it means something now that it wasn't intended to mean, but anyway. So it's the belief that if someone truly becomes a Christian, they're saved from hell, and they can't lose that salvation. That if someone is truly born of God or regenerated by the indwelling Holy Spirit, nothing in heaven and earth is able to separate them from the love of God. That's Romans eight thirty nine, And therefore, nothing can reverse this condition of having become a Christian. And so this would be Reformed Christians. So... Congregationalists, Presbyterians, Reformed Anglicans, Reformed Baptists. Um, Plymouth Brethren is another denomination. Um, you you kind of see this all over the place. I, I think you see this too in Independent Fundamental Baptists, which is kind of odd for me because they're like vehement, vehemently anti-Calvinist, but yet they still believe in once saved, always saved, which is really interesting. Is. But um, yeah, there's a couple of verses um, that would probably suggest this. So, Gabe, read Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. I think we've already read this, but... In him, in, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to praise to the praise of his glory. Okay, so language of being sealed, language of the Holy Spirit being the guarantee, right? So if you have the Holy Spirit, that's kind of like that down payment of the full inheritance that you will acquire possession of it. 
Um, so many people go to that. Um, very famous passage related to eternal security is John 10. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. And I give eternal life to them. They will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Uh, read that next one, John 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Yeah, so um, it's interesting. Eternal life, according to Jesus, is not something you get in the future, but it's something that you have access to when you believe in him. So proponents of the eternal security argument will say, hey, by its nature, eternal life lasts forever. And if it doesn't last forever, it's not eternal. So the passage says, if we believe the gospel, we have eternal life and will not come into judgment. And so that's something we have now, right? And that's eternal. And that if it's taken away from us, it's not eternal. And so some will say, well, okay, so that means we're eternally secure. Does that make sense how they get that from that verse? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So if God started that work in you, he'll be the one that completes it in you. So in the whole passage of Romans 8, it's a long, the whole chapter is kind of about this, but um, a couple summary points, Gabe, you want to hit those summary points of Romans 8? Mm-hmm. No one can bring a charge against God's elect. Nothing can separate the elect from the love of Christ. God makes everything work together for the good of the elect, and all whom God saves will be glorified. God loves his children, or the elect, so much that nothing can separate them from him. Yeah. So that's a pretty compelling passage because it says, those whom he foreknew, he did also predestine to be conformed to the image of his son. And so then those who are conformed to the image of his son will also be glorified. So he foreknew, he predestined, he called, he justified, and then he will glorify. And so Romans 8 kind of tells us, like once you kind of are in the pursuit of the spirit of God to foreknow you, call you, justify you, glorify you, sanctify you, that like you're secure in that process right once god gets a hold of you in that and so i think that's a pretty strong evidence for that um but there's a lot of people that hate this teaching and i would say probably rightly are they justified in their uh, just abhorrence of it because they would say man if you teach somebody they can never lose their salvation what's going to happen is they're just going to live whatever sinful lifestyle they want to and say, well, I'm still saved. Have you seen this? You pastor in the South as well. You pastor in Alabama. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you see people that hold yeah. to that mindset? Yeah, it's a bit, that's a big concern. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And that's even when I was a member of a Presbyterian church, you know, it was like that was one of the things the pastor made a point to speak against was creating these carnal Christians that were kind of overly secure, let's say, in, in their salvation. Yeah. So, yeah, the reason I don't like the term once saved, always saved is because I think there are people who twist this doctrine to mean that. 
It's not that I necessarily disagree with once saved and always saved, the truth behind it. What I disagree with is what people mean by that. And what they mean by that is at one point in my life, I made a verbal profession of faith in Christ. And so therefore, man, if I go out and get drunk and sleep with somebody I'm not married to and kill somebody and, (laughs) you know, live a lifestyle where I'm shooting up heroin for three years, well, I'm still going to heaven if I OD because... Doggone it, I prayed the prayer at VBS when I was seven. And and I just, I, I see so many problems with that. I'm like, I don't, that just doesn't seem like what the Bible is saying when it comes to this thing called salvation. Um, because 1 John 2 says a person who believes they can live any way they want to just because they professed Christ at some time is not demonstrating true, genuine, saving faith. And so, like, if you are saved, it should show up in your life. And those who are conformed to the image of Christ um, in this process of sanctification are saved. So if you are truly saved, then... God is doing a work in you, not just to save your soul, but also to make you look like Jesus. And if you're not in that process of being made to look like Jesus, then one could argue from Romans 8 and 1 Corinthians 6, man, I love you, bro, but like you're, you're, you're probably not saved, right? Mm-hmm. So we talked about salvation not just being that you are saved from the penalty of hell and future judgment, but you're also saved from the bondage of sin. And the way that God does that is he gives you a new heart and he gives you a new desire to seek holiness. And so if that's really happened in your life, there will be a desire in you that wants to be obedient to God and there will be a conviction from the Holy Spirit in your life when you do sin. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but it means like you want what God wants and you can't live a lifestyle of willful disobedience because the Holy Spirit won't let you. And you can't just live any way you want because you've been given a new nature. That's Second Corinthians 5.17. So, do you see that? Do you kind of see that as a fair rebuttal to the whole once they've always saved means that you can live however you want? Yeah. Yeah, it's like if, you know, going back to the running analogy, it's like if you signed up for the marathon and then you got to the start line, you're like, well, no, I'm just going to like hop in somebody's car or whatever. I'm just not, <laughs> not going to do it. And I still feel like I can call myself a marathoner. It's like, well, no, you actually, you actually just, that was all just show, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, some of the, the strengths I see of this argument is that it seems like once, once, um, once you go through that process, it seems like God God is like, okay, I got you. Yeah. And nothing going to take that away, right? right. Um, you are sealed. Um, now, now, it begs the question, like, can we, can we do something in and of ourselves, out of our, out of our like, free will? Right, right, right. <laughs> to, yeah. like, ruin that. Right. Like, is it just talking about, like, nothing externally can take that away? Mm-hmm. But no, it seems like there's a lot of scripture that, that points to that God, God has got you to the yep. day that you die yep. if you if you commit your life to him. Right. Um, what, do, what do you think, though, strength-wise? Yeah, I would say that there is, a, there is a kind of peace that one experiences in knowing that they're eternally secure, truly. 
Not to say that that peace should ever result in an apathy about our holiness, but rather that we move on from the elementary teachings. I think that's what the Hebrew says. Let us move on from those elementary teachings. Let's move on to to things that are more mature. In the sense that like when we know that we are truly his and we're a child of God, then we can kind of stop this like spiritual um, stalling where we just kind of like, oh, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves you not, I'm saved today, I'm not saved tomorrow. And we can like move on to, no, okay, what, what more does God have for me, right? Mm-hmm. I can now like join him in the work that he's called me to do and, and, and wake up every morning knowing that he loves me and that I'm in Christ and he has a purpose for me today and I'm busy about the work of my father today because I know who I am in him, right? And so we're, we're secure in our identity as children of God when we're secure to know that he's not going to let us go, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I can see how immature Christians or people who are not really Christian could twist this doctrine and distort it to mean that, man, you can live sinful and carnal and rebellious lives. And man, you prayed that prayer mm-hmm. once upon a time. So once saved, always saved. And I just say, man, that's, that is not biblical at all. Mm-hmm. So, um, two verses that I think if you believe in eternal security, help explain those who fall away. Um, read that first verse for us, Gabe. That's Matthew seven. Yeah. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. Yeah. So basically, Jesus is saying there's going to be a lot of people in this life that appear like they are safe because they're doing religious activity. But in the end, he's going to say, I never... I never knew you. Not I knew you for a little bit, and you're walking with me, and then, sorry, you kind of fell away, and so I don't know you now. No, I never knew you. That you were, you were pretending. You were doing it for show. It wasn't real, right? First mm-hmm. John 2.19 says, They went out from us. This, these are people who fell away. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. For their going showed that none of them belonged to us. I mean, that's pretty black and white, right? The reason they mm-hmm. fell away is because they didn't really, they weren't really part of the family of God. They weren't really Christian, right? And you see this in Matthew 13. Jesus tells a parable where a sower goes out and throws seed, and that represents the word of God. And some of the seed falls on the road, some of it falls on rocky soil, some of it falls on weeds. And so basically he's saying like, some of it is going to look like it's growing, but ultimately it's going to wither up and die because not everyone in this life who gives a verbal profession of faith in Christ actually has a seed of faith that has taken root. And only the ones that have good soil in their hearts, only the seed that falls in the good soil, will that plant grow and produce a rich harvest. And man, I think like one of the most disheartening things about being a Christian for, you know, a couple of decades is 
you see some of those plants wither up and die that you thought were planted on good soil. And that's really disheartening and discouraging and disappointing. So, yeah. Jesus also tells parables about sheep and goats and wheat and tare. So what would be his point with the whole parable of sheep and goats and wheat and tare, Gabe? Yeah. Uh, so as as we live the Christian life, there would seemingly be those who we walk alongside with who appear to us as a genuine believer. Um, like It's like the wheat grows up right alongside the tares, but as time goes along, the true quality of their faith is revealed through their actions, beliefs, and lifestyles. And so in the end, Jesus knows which one which ones are his and which ones aren't. Um, God doesn't view time in, a, in a, like a linear format like we do. He sees all of time, and he knows exactly what's going to happen. So he knows which people are truly his, you know, the wheat, mm-hmm. and which people are not, the tares. Yeah. So the way I've always understood it, I think, is like he doesn't see somebody saved in 2011 and then they get unsaved in 2014 and then they get saved again in 2021 and then they lose again in 2023 and then they get saved in 2025 and then they die in 2067. And then the whole time he's up in heaven wringing his hands, hoping that person dies in a state of grace. So they get to go to heaven. Like when that person was born, God knew if that person would be his or not. Right. Hmm. So then that kind of leads us to the last question as we wrap up. Can can you lose your salvation? Some people are listening going, what? Answer the question. (laughs) So, I mean, some things we know. There will be people who fall away. It's going to happen. There will be people who fall away from the faith and think that they're still believers, and they're not. But the question is, are they people who fell away that had salvation or will they be people who never had salvation? And honestly, I think the point, (laughs) the point is not, did they have it and they lost it or did they ever have it at all? I think the point is to be sure that right now we are pursuing Christ and the promise of his salvation right now with a complete total and reckless pursuit. Because if we are actively following Christ, Christ by faith and our lives reflect the reality that we have a genuine relationship with God, I think that our salvation is secure. So I'm just going to like play my cards. Are you ready? <laughs> so this is an hour and four minutes in. So personally, and, and I have many people that disagree with me on this, but personally, I don't think you can lose your salvation. But I think if you are truly and genuinely saved, you are his and nothing can take you out of his hand and separate from you from his love. So instead of the whole once saved, always saved, I prefer once truly saved, forever following. Hmm. So Gabe, I just played my cards. You yeah. gotta you gotta tell okay. me your cards. Yeah, I'm I'm probably somewhere more in the middle. Okay. Um like I think it's David who wrote into us asking this question. Um, Alan, what's his name? I think Alan. <laughs> He's a single tear just streamed down Alan. his cheek as you butchered his name. Alan, I owe you lunch. I'm sorry. Um, maybe his middle name. Is yeah, David maybe so. Lynch. You're speaking in the prophetic. Yeah. 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 Um, oh gosh. Um, but no, I, I think. So 
so so yeah if, if you look at it like um like your son on that mountaintop right and that and which i didn't intend for you to bring that up but it's like you had him there was nothing he could do to get you to let go of him right uh but at the same time you were holding on to him why because uh you knew that in his his youth and uh, his lack of knowledge of how the world and especially gravity works, <laughs> he could fall and really hurt himself. Right. So I think it's kind of like, in a way, it's almost like both in my mind, at least. And I see both viewpoints as being valid and completely reconcilable in scripture that, yes, externally speaking, God's love is there for us and our salvation cannot be pulled away from us. Um, but I tend to I tend to lean a little bit closer to the the free will Armenian mm-hmm. um, view of things, and maybe you do. But yeah. but I, I think we both agree on the premise that our minds as believers should not be consumed with what's the bare minimum, right. or should not be consumed with did they lose their salvation because now they're living this. Our mind should be consumed with living, trying to figure out how we live. more holy and conformed to the life of christ and drawing others into that um, absolutely and praying for people who are who are clearly not yeah that's what it seems like we should be consumed with doing and thinking and and believing absolutely um but yeah regardless um this is something that we can be as believers uh we we should wrestle with this Mm -hmm. and we could have very healthy conversations and dialogues with other believers who don't see eye to eye with us. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think we can hold different stances and it, it not affect our ability to come together and worship yeah. the one true God together with, with, uh, with singleness of mind, for sure. Yeah, I agree with that. I think there's unhealthy extremes on either side of this view, right? So the unhealthy extreme for mm-hmm. the conditional security would be you create a paranoia in people where... They're constantly paranoid about losing their salvation. And the unhealthy extreme in the eternal security, perseverance of the saints, would be a apathy and a mm. just, I don't have to live a holy lifestyle. I'm saved, right? And mm. I think somewhere right in the middle, there's the thought of Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruits. And all through the New Testament, there's so many verses that say, examine yourself to see if you really are in the faith. And so if there's not mm. fruit in your life of the Christian lifestyle, then like, man, that's like, you need to be concerned because like your eternal destiny might be at stake. Whether or not mm. you lost it or whether or not you didn't have it, it looks like right now you just don't have it. So I don't know if you've had it once and you lost it or you never had it, but your, your current state of your life and your, your heart right now is a cause of concern and you need to get right with God. Right. Mm. And yeah, yeah. And so, real quick, yeah, as we close up, it seems evident that the. Yeah, I was just going to say, it seems evident the fruit of our salvation is is repentance and yeah, and living according to His Word. And that's something that we should all definitely agree on. Yeah. So the evidence you're saved is not the emotion you felt when you first made a profession. Mm-hmm. It's the current state of your life in your heart now. And there's so much in the New Testament that speaks of this, like hearing and obeying the Word of God. That's what you do now. You have a love in your heart for the church and other believers. That's what you do now. You have a new outlook and perspective on life. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17. You're in Christ. You're a new creation. The old is gone. 
New things have come. You have an inner peace in your life and heart. That's Romans 5. You're led by God's Spirit. That's Romans 8. There's good works in your life. James 2 says, faith without works is dead. And then I think that probably the a really strong evidence for salvation is when you sin, God disciplines you. That's what Hebrews 12 says. The Lord disciplines mm-hmm. those whom he loves. So like, if you're truly saved, it doesn't mean you're perfect. But one of the things it does mean is if you go back and you do that thing that you used to enjoy doing, you don't enjoy it anymore. Mm-hmm. Now you feel terrible and you can like see your life unraveling as a result of that sin when you do that sin and it hurts you and you don't like it and you feel awful about it and you didn't have that conviction before, but now you do. I would say that's the discipline of the Lord showing up in your life to lead you to a place of repentance. So just repent and get back on track following Jesus. So, Mm. yeah, man, good question. Thanks, Alan. Yeah. Or or David. Send us more questions, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, that guy's now going to burn down the building with the taper. (laughs) Tooth growth, they're married, and I'm going to burn down the building. I think I hear children in the yes. background of your They're all awake. Premises. They're all jumping I wonder at the bits. if you should go pop some Pop-Tarts in the toaster for them. Yes, I probably should. Yeah. And my wife has to do yeah. some charting, and she wants into the office, so I literally have everyone in my family hating me because I'm doing this podcast right now. But you, She wants to do sharding? <laughs> or you said charting. Okay. <laughs> She's a nurse. She wants to do charting, not sharding. Enough. So. Okay, okay. Anyway, this has been the Beards and Bible Podcast. If you have any (laughs) questions or you want to send us an email with other awesome uh, topics to discuss, beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com. Leave a comment on the YouTube or on Facebook. And we will see you guys next time. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.